Hello, welcome to Story Lane. My name is Andy Correa. I'm going to be your host moving forward. And this is weird. This is different. I've never done this before by myself. Uh, so thanks. <laughs> I, I kind of want to just be able to start uh, my own little podcast here and have all kind of different people on and talk about all kind of different stuff. So, you know, keep it general, keep it vague, story lane, like a street, talk about stories. But either way, my first guest today is James Grover Wyndham of South Carolina, also known as Jamie Wyndham. Um, he is a really funny guy. And I've known Jamie for 10 plus years now. He was a, um, uh, I already forgot the name. Wow. He walked in my wedding, one of those guys. And um, awesome guy, great friend. Him and I were in a band together. He played guitar, um, played drums. We shared the the third bench in our tour van together and shared a lot of laughs. <laughs> but definitely um, very grateful I got a chance to speak with him and catch up and go down memory lane with him and um, talk a little bit about his upbringing and getting involved in, in music, specifically playing bass is his uh, expertise. And uh, he's still doing it uh, now, you know, essentially 20 plus years later, still still hitting it hard and um, still perfecting his craft. So definitely really cool to get a chance to go inside his head and see what's been going on lately. But we do get a chance to go a little bit deeper and um in his band that he was a part of that he got a chance to uh help create sent by ravens if you haven't heard of them definitely check them out um they were part of tooth and nail records so definitely had a um shorter lived uh time than than probably anybody wanted uh, definitely probably one of my favorite bands still even though they're all my friends uh, very much enjoyed it. Great music. So definitely please check them out. Um, but yeah, really, really fun stuff. Uh, whether you do or don't know Jamie, a lot of stuff might be new to you. So we, we uncover a lot of a lot of things that maybe a lot of people didn't know. So very, very cool. Um, again, thanks for joining in. Quick little tip. It's my first time. Got a chance to get started with Jamie. But just a quick heads up. You might want to raise your volume a little bit. Um, still getting the hang of this. So again, thanks so much guys. And, uh, here we go. Hey man, what's up? What's going on, dude? What's going on? Chilling like a villain. What you doing? Just hanging out and having a, having a beverage, having a little bit of whiskey. Yes. It's good. It's good for the heart. <laughs> how's how's Charlotte these days? I haven't actually talked to you in a while. <laughs> it has been a minute, man. And honestly, Charlotte sucks. But <laughs> I'm here and I'm living. So. How long have you been there now? Um, going on four years or so. so oh wow! I guess me and my wife moved here right before we got married. So that's right. We've been here about three and a half moved away for a little bit Savannah. that's right i feel like that's the last time i saw you oh no you went to the architect show but i still saw you in savannah yeah. though <laughs> yeah we got up and you guys came down there and hung out nice good stuff dude that's awesome but yeah it's 
Charlotte's Charlotte's kind of boring, man. It's like a, it's very, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. There's not much, not much culture here. It's very, it's very transient. (laughs) I've heard that before. Yep. Gotcha, dude. Well, hey, man, well, nonetheless, thanks for letting me bug you for a little bit and at the end of the day, catch up. But, um, I'm glad to be on the, the very first podcast. <laughs> yes. The initiation, the inaugural <laughs> podcast session here. <laughs> the best first, is that the way it goes? You that's got it, man. That, that's how it happens. That's, that's what I heard. We'll see what happens from here. <laughs> but yeah, dude, no, nonetheless, thanks for having me uh, barge into your life. But hopefully this can be a good, chill, relaxing time with your whiskey yeah. and can be good for your, you know, mental health. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's what it's. I mean, that's the value in it, right? You can get together with. I mean, it's kind of weird. You have to like start a podcast to like talk through, <laughs> talk through your issues. But hey, I'll take it. Exactly. Dude, and, and we'll we'll definitely jump into that for sure. But it really is so crazy, like being at this age in our life where we're like, man, I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> And we just dude, keep up, <laughs> keep up on Instagram. It's like, damn, I gotta call this guy. <laughs> Let's record it. Dude, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you feel this way, man. But like, no one kind of warned me about this as I was growing up. Like, Seriously. Bands and like, we were sleeping in houses with like four other dudes that you know you see every day and you were best friends with, and then you get older and it's just like, where did all my friends go? <laughs> and, like, dude, no joke. Is it possible to make new friends when you're 33? You know what I mean? (laughs) Very true. No, absolutely, man. I I completely agree. I I feel, I mean, I feel like it's different, but it's not in the sense just because, like, I had a kid and he's 16 months old and I'm just like, I am still close to my friends, but I feel like I literally just never see anybody or even catch up as much as I remember. (laughs) But I I feel like it's just kind of everybody, like really, as you said, like whether you have a kid or not, it's just life. Life happens. And yeah, I think it's a number of different things, man. I Mm -hmm. think like social media, like being so big as it is, like, like your parents didn't have social media. Right. Now, I mean, it's just, different it's a different time for us it's a lot of different things going on you got social media you got everybody who's working has you know, has side hustles and has this and has that exactly you don't really have time to do much of anything else and the time you do have you just want to spend either with your wife or the kids it's just i don't know man it's just a wild time to be alive <laughs> absolutely no, dude <laughs> it's so true it's crazy too when you catch up with people like you're like wow like I didn't realize how long it's been since I saw you. <laughs> I mean, because because really, I mean, you are seeing them, but it's through a right. It's through your it's through your phone. Through exactly. Your phone. So you, you kind of know what they're doing, right? You know? And typically, you know, when you talk to somebody, I mean, it's not going to be like something you know crazy different that they're doing. And typically, like me, I'm still up to the same stuff. Exactly. No, but, definitely, dude. I hear you for sure. I definitely miss that, you know, that connection that you know, seeing people every day. You kind of it gets very solitary when you get you know grown. I can't imagine having a kid and even 
<laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out for sure, dude. No, but yeah, man, I, I'm doing my best to like trying aside from that. We'll, we'll get a little bit deeper, but to kind of set this thing off, I'm trying to continue like people that are listening don't already know you or the people that we know or even know me. So <laughs> it's a weird dynamic for sure, but we'll we'll pretend like people don't know anything that you're talking about. So we'll explain a little bit more in detail. But for for those who don't know, this is Jamie Grover Wyndham. <laughs> yes. J- James Grover Wyndham, my friends call me Jamie. And uh, yeah, that's who I am. There you go. I'm a junior. My dad has the same name as me, if that means anything to you. For sure. So. Sure does. <laughs> carrying down the lineage bad Jamie and I, I think we've known each other. I think it's been at least 10 years now, if not more. Uh, for, for sure. <laughs> I mean, we probably met, I mean, you were in, you were yeah. in a band called Upterra. Yeah. I was in a band called St. Mary Ravens. We, we played together probably in 2007. I think so. You know, seven, 2008. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely been 10 years. No, for sure. Years, it like definitely that. has. And, um, and we'll, again, another thing we'll go into deeper, but Jamie and I got a chance to be in a band together down the road called Set Apart. Um, and so definitely some fun times, but yeah, man, we'll kind of just kick it off. I, I you know, I kind of, like I said, I really do want to, the only reason why I started this, like we really said and agreed that I want to be able to provide somewhat of an outlet, not just for myself, but for my friends and the people, the guests that I have on to kind of utilize it as an opportunity to really just speak and share and and you know evoke your emotions and what you've been going through and you know maybe you've never had a chance to kind of go down memory lane of your life and and explain kind of what you've been through where you've been at and and why you are where you are and who you are because of those things that that took place and certain experiences that are so i think vital in our lives and you think about it but you know i think vocalizing it i mean i've never been to therapy or anything and i'm I mean, I, I'm all about it, but I feel like this is good. <laughs> it's good for anyone to, to kind of go down there. But, but, um, yeah, dude, tell me a little bit about your, your upgrading, your hometown, your, your family life growing up. Oh man. Um, well, I mean, starting out, you know, I grew up in the PD area of South Carolina. Most people who probably listen to this won't know where that's at. So you're talking about Florence, South Carolina, Darlington, South Carolina, Hartsville. I grew up in Hartsville, school in Hartsville. Mm-hmm. My parents split up when I was five and I had kind of a hectic home life. Um, my mom was a single mom. Um, I, st- I lived with her up until I was 12 in sixth grade and then I went to a custody battle where I moved in with my dad. And, uh, it, was, it was pretty chaotic, you know, childhood. Um, a lot of moving. My mom, you know, she did the best she could to get by. She had the she was working factory jobs and didn't really, you know, make a lot of money. She had two kids and she was single. And you know that whole story. It's sure. Just, uh, you know, it's, it's tough on her. Definitely. We still, we still, and still to this day, we kind of have a weird relationship. I mean, you know, right. I mean, I love her and I do anything for her, but we've always had this kind of disconnect. And I think it's from, like, she's, she's never been able to relax. So, right. You know, she's always had to you know, be thinking about, you know, where the next meal is coming from or can we pay rent? Do we need to move it to another place that's 
cheaper? Do I yeah. stay with my grandma for a while? You know, stuff like that. Sure. So, uh, I'll skip, you know, I went through school, you know, I was a decent student. Um, I just didn't take it very seriously. You know, I played sports up until about my junior year in high school. I played soccer, basketball, baseball, the whole nine yards. I was a pretty decent athlete. You know, I probably could have went to school and played baseball and went to college and all that, but I started playing music when I was in you know, 11th grade. That's my junior year. I started a band with my two cousins. Um, what was the name of the band? Is a, uh, we had you know, multiple different names. I think <laughs> Last in Line was the final nice. name or something like that. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I tried to play drums at first and I sucked terribly. Nice, I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, it was very brief. I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, all right, my you know my younger cousin Aaron, he was way better than I was. And I was Aaron, like, right. yeah. <laughs> so I ended up, uh, they needed a bass player and uh, that's kind of when I picked up the bass. My mom bought me my first bass and it was like a, you know, it was a five-string Ibanez. I don't even know if she knew what she was buying. So I learned on, <laughs> I even learned on a five strings, which was crazy. So, yeah, um, that's awesome. How old were you when you started playing bass? I was probably 16, 15, 16 years old. Nice. Um, and your dad plays. I mean, your dad plays a bunch of stuff, but his big thing's yeah. bass too, right? Yeah, he um he he's a singer songwriter and like acoustic. Player. Nice. So he was always in bands as I was growing up. Um, like he would be recording out in his like little barn and stuff. He did, he, you know, he sang in bands and played acoustic song, played the harmonica, but he was more of a singer-songwriter guy, you know. Nice. I got to, coming up, I got to play with him, a, you know, a little bit in some bands here and there, so that was really cool. But That's yeah, awesome. I mean, yeah, I grew up around it, so it was just, but it wasn't something like I was thinking about as I was growing up, you know. Like, I was in this, into the sports thing for you know, pretty, pretty hardcore until I realized, you know, I wasn't good enough outside of maybe baseball to even do it. <laughs> but but then like something about you know starting that band with my cousins and being in a rock band and going to see rock bands and everything else just kind of flew out the window at that point um and i was dead set on being in a band and going on tour and doing this and doing that so uh, yeah man nice when did like that transition which again most people that will know you by name like when did sent by ravens itself start or I know you and Andy had known each other for a while, right? Yeah, so the story, the way it goes is the band I was in with my cousins, I was playing bass and singing at the time, which I was a horrible singer. I couldn't sing on key. <laughs> we, played a, we played a battle of the bands at this redneck bar in Florence, and um, it was us and this other band, but Andy O'Neill's band just happened to be there. Andy O'Neill was also a guitar player, so all right, it was me and them actually started the band so mm-hmm. he was there with another band but they weren't playing for some reason they were just like i think they had played like the week before and like won that week or something and had come back for some stupid reason i could i don't know the reason why they were there <laughs> but andy was like in the one of the best bands in florence at the time they were, they were nice. called renaissance so, sweet yeah, the band was called Renaissance, and like they were kind of this like rap rock, like old school to Incubus kind of feel. And it was really cool stuff. I mean, really experimental, like insanely good, uh, insanely good musicians. But um, I think I mean I hit up I hit up Andy on like AOL Instant Messenger one day. <laughs> like I found him on MySpace or something. And, right. 
and like just I just shot him a message and was like, hey, I'm I'm Jamie. You know, I played in the band that was there last night. I played bass, and he just happened to be like he kind of was in this space where he wasn't happy with the band necessarily, yeah. or at least it seemed that way. But we we got up and jammed, and it went great. We kind of just started playing from there. I mean, um, we just kind of, you know, we found a drummer that we uh, he knew from a while back, and we you know formed this you know early version of Sent by Ravens, which was called Scratch the Surface at the time, which was this real kind of experimental, like weird stuff, weird time signatures, and <laughs> it was nuts, man. It was like a lot of Tool influence, a lot of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just kind of that, you know, 2000s rock scene where it's like we were just trying to do stuff that was way too difficult for our, you know. <laughs> Ahead of your time. <laughs> That's funny. And so what, I never really knew, like, the timeline. Who came first? Was it Zach and then Dane and JJ? Yeah, so, I mean, we, um, so me, me, Andy, and a drummer named Derek Ward, at the time was playing drums with us and then um we ended up meeting like i hit zach up on actually it was kind of weird this is kind of a strange story (laughs) so this was back in the myspace days so you have your myspace page up you know you have all your music up for the kids out there who don't know how myspace works (laughs) you had like a band page with, with your songs and stuff like that so we had ours up with our songs up Obviously, we didn't have a vocalist at the time. Well, we got this random message from this guy. It wasn't Zach, but it was a guy who knew Zach. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the guy randomly messages, messages us and goes, Hey, I really love stuff. You should check this guy out. He's a singer from my town. Um, he may be interested. So <laughs> I, hit up, I hit up Zach. And... He listened to the stuff and he was interested, but he was at a, he was in a band at the time, and the band wasn't bad, but it was kind of like you know radio rock, was, you know that time in like yeah. mid two thousand, so it was like three doors down meets Incubus. But <laughs> as soon as I heard it, Zach's voice stood out. I was like, this dude's this dude's killer. Right. If we could just if we could somehow get him up here and be in our band, it would be awesome. Nice. But um. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how we found Zach. It was just a random kind of event. I know, it's so crazy. <laughs> what year do you insane. think that was, When you, at least when you guys got Zach in? When Zach came in, it was 2006. Oh, I got, wow. I got the timeline pretty down. Yeah. <laughs> Zach came in in 2006, and um, like he was still, like he was in that band, but he, was, he wasn't happy. Like He just... I guess he was just looking for a change, man. He would, he came up and jammed with us. It went well. We all kind of hit it off. Um, and then, you know, it came to a point where Zach moved up. Right, because he was in Georgia, right? Yeah, he was in you know Swainsboro, Georgia, which is the middle of nowhere. Like <laughs> I don't even know how far. It's like south of Atlanta. Gotcha. I don't even know how far south. Maybe yeah. Three hours. Wow. So. Yeah, man, he um he ended up moving up and was in our band, so it was like Zach, me, Andy, and the, and then our original drummer Derek at the time. We were just writing songs, and that's like if you if you're any familiar with Sent by Ravens, that was the like the black CD that had like a bunch of the early stuff in it, like uh, 
kill in the face and all that. That was that time. Nice. So, um, anyway, we ended up parting ways with our drummer. Then we had another drummer come in. He played drums with us for a while. And then there was just like eight month period where like we parted ways with Aaron for personal reasons. And then like it was just me, Zach, and Andy. And we were kind of floating in this like, I don't know, this weird space where it was like, are we still a band? Are we not? We're looking for drummers. We're looking for anybody, you know? Right. So that's what brought us to Dane and JJ. And then. That's a whole other crazy story. <laughs> yeah. um, Which is, but real quick, so yeah. uh, Zach moved to South Carolina for the band? Yeah. He moved nice. from Georgia to South Carolina. Um, he moved into my, you know, my dad's house where I was staying at the time. Nice. And uh, I was like, you know, let's do it, dude. And uh, it's always been so, like, crazy. You guys' story of, like, MySpace should, like, write a story about you guys about connecting you all it's insane but i mean i know you'll tell it now but this story about dane which again those of you don't know dane anderson he's in maui right now and jj uh which i guess he's yeah he's there in south carolina now um but yeah two guys from from hawaii but so you i remember you had told me once before but you were just like looking up youtube videos and found dane somehow yeah so all right, keep in mind during this time, like, Andy <laughs> had recently given birth to his new kid, which was Rayma. She's like 11 yeah. now. Oh, I know, it's she's crazy. Or 12 or something like that. So, I mean, we're in this kind of weird area where we, I mean, we had, like, with Aaron, we had had some success where we were playing, like, House of Blues shows. We opened for Stained. You know, this is the early days. Oh, sick. Ravens, so, like. We're playing House of Blues in Myrtle Beach a lot. We're getting a lot of local kind of love, um, opening for big shows. And then we parted away with Aaron. And then we had this kind of, like I said earlier, we had this kind of space where it was like we were still a band, but we didn't have a drummer, so we weren't playing shows and weren't really writing much. So it was just like, you know, we were just kind of floating around. And, I mean, I just got proactive, dude, and I just started searching around. And um, I guess, I mean, this was like 2000. So this was about 2007, 2008, and I was on YouTube. I was literally just searching drummers, dude. Like, I would type in Under Oath <laughs> cover or That's August awesome. Burns Red covers. And, like, I would just search covers, and Dane's video just happened to be up there. So I watched it. was an Under Oath cover. I can't remember what song it was. It might have been Define, or, uh, Writing on the Walls or something. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Define, the first song called Define the Great Line, I don't remember the name of it. Right. But, um... I just I sent him a random message, dude, and like didn't know he was in Hawaii. I didn't know his location, and my last thought was like, "This guy's in Hawaii." You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought maybe he, at worst he was in California or something. Right. <laughs> so I didn't know he was in Hawaii. I didn't know his location at all. I didn't know anything about him. I just shot him a message. I said, "Dude, you're a killer drummer. Here's our link. Here's our stuff. You know, we're looking for a drummer." Yeah, I'm trying my best. Then, That's um, so crazy. It's it's nuts, dude. Like I, I just I don't know. It it, it came together insanely. Dude. It definitely it's did. The wildest. And then he got back to me and was like, "Oh, you guys sound great. You know, I'm I'm interested." <laughs> so you know, we got into this conversation, kind of like you know, well, where are you from? And he told me Hawaii, and imme- like immediately when he told me he was from Hawaii, I was like, "Dude, there's no." <laughs> 
<laughs> You're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> there's, there's no way this guy's moving to, you know, bumfuck Egypt, yeah. Lamar, and like Lamar, South Carolina, and be in our band. There's no way, dude. <laughs> so it, it was, I don't know, dude. It, and, and eventually, Dane introduced us to JJ, which they were best friends back on Hawaii, and JJ was a guitar player, and we only had one guitar player. Mm. We had never really tossed around the idea of a second guitar player but you know we talked it over as a band and was like you know it might be a cool idea you know they they sent us like a a video of like jj just jamming out on an acoustic of like some original riffs he wrote which one of them ended up being trailer versus tornado and stuff like that that's so, hilarious i can just see it i can see it now too jj's there with sorry i have to say this i can see it now jj's sitting on a couch Outdoor somewhere with his shirt off, wearing swim trunks, playing guitar. <laughs> no, dude, it was it was upstairs in Dane's room. So like <laughs> shitty lighting, like shirt was off. Don't worry about that. Shirt I knew it. Looked like he probably just came in from like surfing or something. Like his hair's all messed up, and he's just jamming on, like jamming these like hard riffs on acoustic. And honestly, dude, like we thought it were cool. But we were at the point where we were like, look, we just need a drummer. If he's going to bring this guy with him, but he's going to be in the band, I don't even care. Yeah, Let's screw just, it. <laughs> there's nothing, nothing against JJ, but it was like, hey, if this guy can come in and play drums, then we'll take we'll take the guy playing guitar, too. Right. Which was a smart idea, because, I mean, a lot of those riffs, like, oh, yeah, a lot for of sure. effects and fashion and prayer was, like, start of, you know, JJ's riffs, and it was, uh, which... And then they ended up moving out, like moving out to South Carolina, like two months later, you know, 2007, they ended up moving out. Yeah. It was, like, was kind of like a shot in the arm. <laughs> they came out and we jammed. And I remember Dane came out one week and JJ came out the week after because he got to graduate from high school. <laughs> Eight, 18 years old. And as soon as he graduates from high school, he's on a plane. Moving to South Carolina. To dude, I totally forgot that he was that young when he did that. Yeah, dude. Wow. He's fresh, he's fresh out. Yeah. And so ultimately, I know, you know, you guys obviously started the bang, just kept grinding, hit the road, toured. At what, like, from the moment that you would say that they, like, moved out and, like, came to the States, how many, how much time from that until, you know, the big, the big moment came when you guys got on with Tooth & Nail Records? They moved out, and we um, we immediately started writing. Like we hit, I mean, we hit it hard. And it was, it was like I said, it was a shot in the arm because JJ came in. JJ and Dane had been playing together for years, right? So they just it just meshed well, and Dane's style was like perfect for what we were looking for. So JJ came in, and it kind of molded our sound to more what was popular at that time. So 2008 was like your post-hardcore screamo stuff you know under oats was huge and all that and so but that was kind of it, he kind of brought that more modern and that more modern sound to us mm-hmm. and it kind of we just it just blended with us very well so you had like zach's vocals with like that side of the aggressive riffs and stuff like that and we just started writing man and um i mean we wrote a bunch of songs um you know, Trailer versus Tornado, uh, this battleship won't budge. We wrote Best in Me. I mean, it was written in 2008. I know it's on the recent record, but it was, you know, written back in 2008. Um, you know, a bunch of songs that you know 
which was on that first EP that we wrote, which was the effects of fashion and prayer, which we went up to, um, this was a big turning point for us too. We went up to North Carolina and recorded with John Harrell at Soundbar, mm-hmm. which is where we did that EP, which kind of kickstarted everything for us just because the quality was great. The songs were great. Um, I mean, we were just kind of becoming who St. Byron was, you know, was. Right. And then after that, dude, once we got that, you know, EP recorded, we just played shows, dude. We just played shows, like, until, you know, we just kept playing. We'd play every weekend. We'd play anywhere. Yeah, and, and so, the longest whole time, too, it's pretty much you, JJ, Dane, and Zach, pretty much all living in the same place, right? Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, whenever JJ and Dane moved out, basically Zach, JJ, and Dane all moved into my, my, my dad's house, my house where we were living at the time. And in that time, like my dad would be there, like my dad would live there a certain amount of time, and then he'd move out, like move to Columbia, and then he would be back for a certain amount of time, and then he'd be out somewhere right. else. So there was a time there where it was like all of us and my dad and my dad's girlfriend some nights. It was just like it was crazy. <laughs> some but um, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they were all living with me, and like you know, when they moved over, I made it a point to like. I mean, I was sleeping on the couch for years, and like JJ was sleeping in the closet in Dane's room. Right. Like he just he had like this small mattress put on the floor and was sleeping in the closet. Dane was in the bed. Zach was in my old room. You know, it was just it was just kind of getting by however we knew how to. You know. So, yeah, dude. Um, but yeah, we were. I mean, we were touring all the time too, so we would be in the van. Exactly. Put together as many, you know of our own tours as we could. Um, we hooked up with that band out of Jacksonville, the sophomore tent and became really good friends with them. And they were pretty That's popular right. down there. Yeah. So, uh, we kind of got in good with them and just did some runs and developed. It just, it helped us develop these pockets of amazing following. So we had like good local following in like Columbia. And then we'd go down to Jacksonville and play with those guys. And we'd have, you know, good following there. It just kind of we kind of did that whole thing region, regionally. We got we became good friends with the guys and embracing goodbye and Raleigh. Yeah, and, you know, developed developed a good you know following there, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. Nice. And then, um, yeah. So I mean, we just worked our asses off. I mean, I was you know I'd be up booking as much as I could. You know, I booked most of our stuff, just booking shows and taking whatever would make sense and booking our own tours, you know, booking with our friends' bands. And that's when we probably play with you guys first is we, you know, book shows in Atlanta or, you know, Marietta. Right. That area. Yeah. Just, you know, setting up, basically, like, if we would set up our own little runs, our own little tours, like two-week tours, a week tour, and I would just pick spots in between these, you know, that made sense drive-wise and, like, we would have to go up to Atlanta and I would, I don't remember who I even contacted first to get booked in I know. I was gonna ask. I was like, I wonder how you guys ever even ended up there. What was the first show you guys played here? Was it at that big church, the First Baptist? Maybe I don't remember, dude. We played there so much. Yeah, I remember that being one of the first times when you guys pulled up, and I just remember Zach was wearing an Advent shirt, and I was like, "Oh snap!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we played, and you're like, "Oh shit, they're not here." <laughs> Still good though, still good. But yeah, to answer your question, 
questions. To answer your question, basically, how did we end up getting on Tooth and Nail's radar and all that? So we were just playing shows, man, and we played uh, we we played one night in Raleigh, and I think you know. I don't know. I don't remember who the guy was that was there. We played at the brewery in Raleigh, and there was a guy there who knew either worked at Tooth and Nail or he knew somebody at Tooth and Nail. Either way, he saw us and was very impressed. He came up to us afterwards and he was like, "Hey, I'm a, you know, forwarding your information to some A and R guys. You know, just hang out. You know, be patient, and um, you know, we'll see what happens." So this was before you guys ever even hit them up or anything. Yeah. I mean, Dang, I, I didn't know that. Nice. I think I'd sent them, like, I can't remember exactly how they, we came under their radar. Right. From what I remember, he just, he was at that show. Gotcha. I don't know if I, like, sent him information and he got to that show. Yeah. Or, not exactly, but he was there. And in between the time, like, he was, like, we were waiting to kind of hear back from them. It was kind of that thing. It was like, oh, shit, dude, you know, Tooth and Nail was here. You know, they really liked us. You know, we were just kind of... We were hopeful, but we were, you know, still had to get to work and figure out what to do next. And right. we just kept playing. And then, like, we had some small labels that were interested at, interested in us at the time. Like, we were in talks with Tragic Hero out of North Carolina. Yeah. Memphis Mayfire was on that, right? Yeah. Nice. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think we were for, like, the early days. And mm-hmm. then we were talking to another random small label called Round Kid Records, which I don't think they ended up doing much. But, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, we were in talks with some, you know, places, but nothing, like, concrete had come through. Sure. And then we played another show in North Carolina at a church, like a random church in the Raleigh area. Like, we would do all these shows in the Raleigh area with Embracing Goodbye. Yeah. And two A and R reps came to that show. Like, nice. We ne- like we never played at this church before. We typically when we would play in Raleigh, we'd play at the brewery. But we just happened to have this other show booked, and they they came out, and yeah, that was when they were like, "Hey, we're going to offer you a deal." That's crazy. Like, I mean, they they told us right down. Like, as soon as we finished our set, they were like, "Hey, we're going. We're planning on signing you to a deal." <laughs> you know, who would you guys like to record with? Who do you want to produce the record? Like right there at the venue or the church yeah. or whatever. Yeah, as soon as we finish Dang. The they're serious. <laughs> so, yeah, it was um, it it was pretty it was pretty rad. I mean, I don't remember a lot of my feelings at the time. Right. You know, I don't remember kind of how it felt. I just I don't know, dude. I had I always had a real issue with like taking it easy and like laying back and just kind of feeling everything as it came i was always the guy that was like all right we got to get the next thing going we got right. to keep working you know i gotta keep doing this sure so it was kind of just i mean for me it was like business as usual i was like you know you're like all right bet let's is, go <laughs> this is great like this is great news let's you know let's talk about it you know we went through the whole went through the whole legal thing and you know back and forth on contracts. I remember, I mean, we didn't sign it right away. It was one of those things where we, we thought about maybe not signing, you know, just yeah. because the first draft went into our, uh, you know, went to our liking. Sure. I remember it came down to, a, we were playing a random show in like the low, low country South Carolina. And it was like, Hey, basically we got contact from that 
from the label was like, hey, you guys, you guys need to decide whether you want to do this deal today or we're pulling the offer. Oh wow! So, so we were like, we ended up just kind of meeting in the van about it, and we we're like, um, we're like, fuck it, let's just do it. Let's <laughs> right. just sign it. I mean, we don't have anything better coming through. Sure. So nice, that dude. Kinda, that's that's what kind of catapulted us into the tooth and nail world, and right? Aaron Sprinkle and recording their album. Yeah, dude, that's so crazy. I didn't. I never knew those little details, like right on the spot, like, oh, yeah, we're going to sign you. So where do you want to go? Who, who do you want to tour with? <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I distinctly remember them asking us, like, who we wanted, uh, who we wanted to produce the record. Nice. And, I mean, it's, it's not like we had been sitting around thinking about it. So, I mean, naturally said what anybody in 2008 would have said, you won't hear a sprinkle yeah. Dude, it's nuts. I know. It, yeah. I don't know if you've actually been listening to any of those, but, um, you know, I know you guys know Emery and stuff, but Matt Carter's got that labeled podcast that's like mm-hmm. from uh, all about tooth and nail and like old school days. And it's literally yeah. so insane. That guy has done like literally everything. Like, I'm literally looking at it right now. I was looking at it earlier today. Like, Demon Hunt, like, freaking i didn't even know that this yeah. guy did a he did a newfound glory album like yeah, man, a long time been, ago he's been working he's been doing all kind of stuff and it's like, insane he was, like he was tooth and nails golden boy too like, oh yeah especially in that, that era like that era of, of time it was, it was, seriously he was, just kill, he was killing it oh so, yeah like, no he was the go-to yeah it says from the 90s and obviously all the big ones when you know when I guess we, I think it's okay to say when <laughs> Tooth and Nail was at its prime, at least in like our scene, at least, you know, yeah. Dead Poetic, Copeland, uh, you know, Ivory Line, Amberlin, Cutlass, May. Uh, yeah, I mean, they even did like MXPX, their initial uh, Poconacha album that came out in 94, which is like what freaking blew them up. And yeah. all these crazy people even did Zayo. I didn't know that. <laughs> He's had his hand in that whole side. That's crazy. Unless anybody who's come through Tooth and Nails recorded with him. Exactly. Yeah, dude. That how was that experience? Like, what'd you like the best about recording with him? Well, I think my favorite part was going out to Seattle for a month and a half. Nice. And just getting I mean, you know, getting out there and being in a professional, like, you know, high dollar studio with someone that level right. and that caliber. I mean, he had some personal issues going on at the time, and it was kind of weird. Like, some days he would be there, some days he wouldn't make it in. Mm. But um, it, it was kind of, I mean, it was still, you know, everyone's got their shit that they're dealing with. Right. We, uh, Matt Carter, like you were saying earlier, he yeah. actually engineer, engineered it. So, nice. he just hang out with Matt, you know, if, if Sprinkle wasn't there. I mean, Sprinkle right. was there for most of the pre-production and, you know, the producing the record and that's awesome once it came down to kind of executing i mean he would be there some nights right right yeah dude but i mean it was just it was surreal man like it was one of those things like i said like like i said earlier i kind of have an issue with like stopping and like kind of taking it all in and like oh dude i'm in the sound band i'm out here recording it was just more like we were out i mean i just took it as it came didn't really think much of it like oh we just gotta go do this now and put the record out and keep going sure 
Would you say that as far as your experience, you know, in, in that side of the industry, like being in the midst of it, like being part of the, you know, a well-known label, and obviously they're very well established for a long trajectory of time and a crazy discography of all these albums and bands. But what, if you had to pick one, like, I guess, moment that just stands out the most, would it be like, I don't know if it was a certain tour that you guys had, any, maybe somebody you met or was it maybe just that recording, like right there, knowing so many people had recorded there? Well, I mean, for me, for sure, it would be the experience of going out there and recording and then like heading to the tooth and nail offices and then like loading us up with basically whatever CDs we wanted. And nice. Doing photo shoots out there. I mean, that was like the best part for me. That's and awesome. Like, well, I mean, just because, you know, I wasn't in the band long after that release. We can get into that. But, um, sure. I mean, for me, it was kind of short-lived. So it was like all this work and kind of building up to this point. And then, you know, we get to Seattle. And, I mean, I thought it was a, I thought it was an awesome trip. I mean, they didn't treat us the best as far as, you know, like we were supposed to get some kind of per diem at the studio and, didn't receive a check until we got back home and all of that all that it was there were some messed up parts with it but sure no yeah still, it, we were still young dudes you know in band in a band out there recording and you know something awesome no for yeah, sure put out some great songs definitely man no i mean that record is definitely monumental and i know at least you know like you're saying at least in our era here in the metro atlanta like this was always definitely a big a big hub for you all and i i remember i remember one time uh set apart we were playing with life on repeat and the i forgot his name Devin, i think the bass player was like freaking out and was telling us that he was watching football with his dad and there was like the highlights and and some song came out from you guys and he's like oh my god (laughs) that was that was a pretty cool story to hear that's probably that 11 dollar royalty check i guess yeah. you know i can go buy some uh some chipotle and royalty money's gone there you go but, uh, you made yeah, it I mean, man it was, it was uh it was a good time as far as going out there and recording you know nice we um i mean i think a lot of our success before the before the signing was we just got along with people, man. Like we, yeah. we made friends. We made friends. We made like great, like in Atlanta with you guys. We made great friends there, and just like in in Raleigh, we made great friends with like Embracing Goodbye and those guys, Jack mm-hmm. and Phil with the Sophomore Temp and all those bands we played with. Got a benefit. We just all became a big, huge group of friends, and that's you know to get back earlier about not have any friends now which i have friends i just don't really talk to them much right. also, also on me a little bit but, of course <laughs> um we just we just had this huge group of friends and like we would always hang out no matter what city we were in we were talking to somebody yeah man so i think that i think that contributed to our success we just we were just real dudes and like we could we, were, we didn't come in with a you know with a cocky attitude or anything like that we weren't right. to people Right. Came in, we wanted to hang out and play music. So no, for I sure. Think that really, I think that really translated to us. No, for sure. That's always things. been, I think, a big key formula for just bands in general. Like you can tell, like 
even big bands that still like go out and like hang out and like talk to their you know fans or quote unquote the kids you know <laughs> just like yeah. talking to people like hey man thanks for coming out whatever what's up what you doing i just like no nah, i'm too good for you i'm gonna go sit in my van the entire night <laughs> like yeah. dude what are you doing <laughs> like these people are here for you but no dude, i totally hear you that's definitely one thing talking about band life that i definitely miss is just like that it was always so exciting like oh man i can't i'm so stuck we're going to this town i can't wait to hang out with these people haven't seen them in a while and like you said it's like actually building these relationships and like you know pretty much families and like we would stay in these people's houses with like their wives and their kids and like you know paul letting us crash at their place and just so so many people that that and it's crazy too how you can like so easily build a friendship like that whether it was with another band and like after the first day you play a show to go like, yo, you guys were sick. It's like, oh, you guys were sick too. Hey, you want to stay in my house? It's like, what? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, literally from right there, it takes off. We made, we made so many friends. Like, like when we played with the Valkyrie the first time in Myrtle Beach and they were from Charleston and we were meeting there. And it's like they were playing the show. It's like, dude, immediately when we walked in, it's like, oh, we're going to be best friends with these dudes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking fun. And they don't give a shit, dude. They're just fun to hang out with. And it's like, dude. And I mean, I still talk to Price and Ben to this day. Like, yeah. Some of the, like, Price is coming up here tomorrow to watch Wage War with me. Like, <laughs> nice. they're some of the best friends I still have. And, exactly. Like, it's just from playing a random show together and just hitting it off immediately. So, yeah, yeah, man. No, it is crazy. Building lifelong friends. For sure. That's awesome, dude. But hey, man, I know, um, like anything else, like we said before, definitely big, big life experiences and things, sometimes things that, you know, can change you or, or just big moments. But again, prefacing everything, obviously <laughs> we all love all the rest of the guys and sent by Evans, but Hey, like at the end of the day, shit happens and life happens. And sometimes things are out of your control, but you know, dive as deep as you want into the breakup side of things, which is pretty much what it is. That's how I always yeah. see things. When, when you depart from a band, like it's literally a relationship that that you have you know cried over and sweat into and spend a lot of time and money and so it's it's i think it's a big thing and it's at the end of the day no matter what it still takes like an emotional toll and i'm sure even on them too um and again i know that i don't know all the details but as far as the parties involved and i know that it's totally different when somebody leaves a band and that fine line of we're on a label we're not on a label i think it's obviously handled so differently like i think so yeah. so i think there's a lot of outside voices that exactly coming into the which i think is what happened with my situation i think there's a lot of outside voices that come into the situation and kind of distort what you used to have you know what i mean so, sure but uh yeah i have no problem talking about it um it was a very defining point in my life you know this was something that I had pretty much poured everything I had into it from day one. Like all I did was, you know, book shows for this band, get this band to the point where, you know, we could get signed and we could, you know, move forward. But, you know, I didn't do it alone. I, I don't, you know, sure. I don't neglect anything any other other guys did, but I do believe like I put a, lo a lot into it, maybe more than they did. I don't, I don't know if they would argue that or not. You'd have to ask them. But sure. to get down to the situation, 
So I was I was basically kicked out of the band. And the reason I was kicked out of the band was to sum it up, um, I was I wasn't very honest about some stuff that went down. I didn't necessarily lie, but I kind of kept some stuff from the guys that I shouldn't have. Sure. So basically what happened is our EP came out. So basically it was up to me to set up all the distribution for it. So I set up the, you know, the tune, we used TuneCore to get it up on iTunes and, you know, get it out, you know, so people could buy it. So I was in charge of this whole thing. Well, it came a point where, you know, I was, I, I didn't have any money, dude. I didn't know how I was going to make this happen. So sure. it got to the point where I was pulling money from our tune core to my account to live off of, you know, and I wasn't doing this. Like I wasn't trying to like be conniving about it. I think it just came across as very shady because I didn't basically what it boils down to is I didn't communicate to people in my band. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It wasn't, what's going like on? I, it wasn't like I went to him and was like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I need to do. And this is my plan to kind of, you know, pay it back or so to speak. Right. So that went on for about, and I mean, there was a part of me that was like, you know, this isn't right, man. But also I had a plan in my mind. You know what I mean? Like I was right. going to do this, but I had like, we were supposed to get, you know, these advances for recording and I was going to take my advance and, you know, pay back whatever money I used and put it in that. But the problem was is I didn't communicate that. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I, I had this problem with, you know, taking this to the guys and viewing, like being viewed as vulnerable. You know what I mean? Right. And just like that I was in a position where I needed help. But so I say that, and I'm not. I'm, I say like I didn't lie about it. As soon as I was confronted about it, I told the truth. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't beat around the bush. Um, I remember when I was where I was when Andy called me about it. I was in a movie theater with Zach Richards, Elijah Richards' little brother. We had went to see some movie, and Andy just kept calling me, and I was like, "Oh shit, I need to take this." So I was out in the lobby of the movie talking to Andy about this. But, wow. But yeah, um, that's what happened. Like to sum it all up, is I was basically using money that wasn't necessarily all mine to get you know get by and live. But um, right. it wasn't like I was going out buying Nike shoes and fucking buying <laughs> you know watches and shit. It's like I was buying toilet paper for people to wipe their ass on, or I was buying food or trying to get to the next you know try to trying to get to that next place where I was like, all right, we're good. Right. So it wasn't like I was deliberately trying to hurt anybody but i understand it did in the way it came across you know i get sure. it you know, now i get it so but i say that but does the i don't think the punishment necessarily you know was appropriate for the crime you know what right. i'm saying no i hear you so and the reason i feel that way is just you know when I, when I look back on it now, it may have been $1,000, $1,200 total. That's not, I mean, I make that shit in a week now. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, that's not a lot of money. To us, it was a lot of money then, but like, I could have paid that shit back in no time. And like, this, the way it went down was really shady, man. Like, I was in, I was in conversations with the guys. Like, I was in, a, I was in Georgia at the time, in Atlanta with you guys. Yeah. Like, I was just hanging out with Elijah and Elijah's family, and I was just chilling, and we had some downtime, and I was just hanging out. 
but um like I was on the phone having conversations with the guys and just trying to get you know trying to get to a point where it was like all right this is what we're going to do about it and, you know I was working with them as much as I you know as, as much as possible I was like whatever you guys think you know whatever you guys want me to do I'll do if you want me to take time off work and pay it back I will if you want me to you know take some time off and come back I will if you want me to not have any you know, any hand in the financials, I will. Whatever I need to do, I'll do it. Right. So, I mean, I remember getting off the phone with, um, it might have been, I don't remember who it was. It might have been Zach. It might have been Andy. I don't remember. But, like, we were under the kind of understanding that I was going to take some time off, pay that money back, and then come back to the bank. Sure. So that was what the understanding was for me. So, like I said earlier, this is when MySpace was big. Mm-hmm. So, and basically, I spent my entire days on MySpace booking shows and shit. So I knew the ins and outs of that shit. I knew what the password was and all this, and I knew what was going on. Well, I woke up the next morning and the passwords changed. Mm. So then I'm I'm fucking mad. You know what I mean? Right. So I I, I, te- I call them and I'm like, hey, dude, if there's something else going on, we need to have this conversation now because if you guys are kicking me out of the band, then I'm not fucking coming home basically is what I said. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Sure. So we had the conversation and they kicked me out the van. I mean, given their, you know, reasons. Sure. Um, completely changed my world at the time. You know, um, I begged them not to do it. And, uh, but they did it. And, um, yeah, that kind of set my life into a completely different direction as far as like what I was doing with my day to day. And, you know, sure. I ended up just staying in like staying in Georgia after that. You know, that's pretty much when I moved there. Mm-hmm. I was just like, fuck it, I'm staying. My dad was like, look, you could just stay. He knew what had gone on. I'd been talking to my dad through the whole thing. My dad had been talking to Zach. You know, everyone was kind of in contact. My dad was like, look, man, you just need to stay there because this is going to be too hard for you to be here amongst this. Sure. I ended up staying. But, you know, what was weird is it just it just just it just didn't warrant the you know being kicked out of the band. Like I understand what I did, and I, I never once blamed anybody else. You know what I'm saying? Right. But to kick one of the you know founding members out of the band was a little harsh, in my opinion. And I've talked to the guys since then, and they've right. they told me they regretted that decision. I mean, they broke up a year and a half after that. So I mean that. I, I tried to kind of stay out of it and just let sure. everything unfold. But I mean, I mean, when it first happened, I was pissed, dude. I didn't want anything to do it. Of course, no, um, definitely, that's understandable. And I mean, they were living in—they were living in my dad's house. They weren't paying rent. I mean, I'd let them move into my beds. I'd let them sleep in my, you know, my beds and my bedrooms, and I was sleeping on the couch for years. And like, you know, let's have a little compassion here. You know what I'm saying? We're supposed to be a christian band you know what i'm saying right so oh yeah dude i hear you but things happen the way they did man you know what i mean i'm still friends with those guys now i mean right. i still talk to them and you know i, you know, I know I, I talk with jj and zach and andy a lot i don't really talk to dane much but it is what it is so no yeah dude that's that's very real stuff for sure i i appreciate you opening up about it um, yeah. I'm sure it's good, good for your soul as well, but yeah. 
Yeah, dude, it's it's not easy. Like I said, at the end of the day, it really is. It's a relationship. It's something that you know you you pour your life into. I mean, even myself growing up in dumb little bands, like and and around town, and we had to kick somebody out. Like that sucked. <laughs> like it's terrible. You know, shout out Josh Harmon. <laughs> I love you, dude. <laughs> Man, you know it's tough for sure. It was just a big deal in my life, dude. It was just everything I had ever worked for. And and it was a learning experience for me, dude. I had made shitty decisions up there. Like, I should have been more conscious about my communication. And, like, I just kind of expected everyone to go along with what I wanted. And, you know, that's not the way a band works or a family works. And sure. I mean, that I cannot agree with how it turned out, but that's how it turned out. You know what I mean? And, like, right. I, mean, I didn't want to be kicked out of the band, but. It happened, and that's you know that's what happened. You know, that's what went on. They went on and recorded another record, but not long after that, they they broke up. Man, so right. I just let that kind of that kind of sums it all up for me. You know what I mean? Right. No, yeah, dude. That's that's your story for sure. And you know, it's it's your but, truth and what you lived most definitely. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I apologize to those guys. Yeah. You know, I've talked to them. They've apologized to me. You know, I've had many conversations with Andy. Just kind of how that. The whole scenario went down for them, you know, what, how the seat they were in. And, you know, it, it is what it is as far as how it you know, ended up. But, I mean, after that, I kind of just accepted it and moved on and just started, you know, like doing whatever else that came towards me or what I knew to do. You know what I mean? Sure. Oh, absolutely, man. That's, like I said, that's, you know, it's real life. It, it things happen, and uh, like I was saying, I think that I think at some point or another, everybody has that just one story, that one experience, that one moment that is you know life defining in, in a sense that it, you know it's it's at the end of the day, it's something that you can't control at all, um, completely out of control, and and you know you got to make the decision like, all right, what do I do with this experience? Do I you know, use that as, as kind of fuel into my life. Do I let it define me? Do I not let it define me? What, what do I do with that? And like I said, I think everybody has that. And so, you know, I know that that's definitely a big part of your life, but you know, to segue into the present life and, and I want you to know something that I'm very, like, I've always been real inspired by you, dude. The fact that you're like one of my few friends that is still to this day, like, ultimately just still chasing their dreams still going hard still grinding at least in you know in the music world um and like tell me more about that i know you're you're kind of like you're still good doing your thing you're still playing bass you're you're out there recording for high or (laughs) you know you're up for hire free agent kind of thing yeah yeah man um i mean to go back to you know where we were as far as like where i met you and stuff like after Sent by Ravens, that's when me and you joined joined up with Elijah and yeah. me and Beef. We started our own band, set apart. For sure. Did that for a while, but like, I mean, for me, it kind of, I mean, I did that for about a year, and, you know, there was just always a part of me that was, it was just kind of went out the window. After the Sent by Ravens thing, I was just so angry and just so kind of like, I don't really know what to do. No, yeah, dude. I, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> I stayed down in Georgia, and it was like, I mean, Elijah literally looked at me and was like, hey, man, you want to be in my band? And I was like, yeah. I 
shit, I guess. I can play guitar. Yeah. So I play guitar and set apart for a while. And, I remember. <laughs> and like, one day, I mean, I, I moved back up one day, you know, to South Carolina because my debt was just insanely out of control. And I was like, oh, I got to figure something out. It's, right. It's so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the way it really kicked off is I started playing a new spring at church and I was playing bass and, you know, I, I did that for, dude, I was playing every weekend doing that for maybe, I mean, I still play their songs. I mean, I started playing there in 2010, it's 2000 or 2011. Oh, wow. 2019 now. Yeah, so long time. For years, you know, did that on and off and pretty consistently with, and then I met my wife, we got, I met her and about three years ago we just had our wedding anniversary tuesday nice congrats so yeah been married three years so i met her back in 2000 i guess it was 2013 and yeah she we ended up moving up to charlotte and i started playing at elevation and you know just i mean playing at church has been a learning experience and you, you always run into like your political things in church. Like there's always people trying to climb that ladder that sure. know, trying to get to the top and trying to get to, to the you know, touring position and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, um, it's really like, it really took my playing to an insane level. Just being able to play every week and having to learn song, just, it really developed my ear and it really kind of, I don't know. It just took, it took my playing to an insane level. Nice. So I, I'm forever grateful for it, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's been definitely been an insane experience as far as playing music and stuff. That's and I awesome. mean, I've seen some stuff. I've seen some stuff behind the curtains with church that I'm not fond of. But, you know, <laughs> I bet we can, get, we can we can get into that later if you want. Exactly. That's up, that's up to you. <laughs> um, we uh, earlier I moved down to Savannah for a summer to work at a studio. And basically what that entailed is that, that ended up turning into like me and a couple a few guys writing some songs and then recording those songs and then sending them over to Zach to sing on. And once Zach had sing, sang on them, they somehow, some way, like got back to David Bender, the producer, the guy who produced Paramore's Riot, the guy who produced Breaking Benjamin's, you know, huge album and all that. He, right. uh, he mixed um, Seth Eternal. Bring Me the Horizon. Wow. So it somehow, somehow got back to him. He heard it. And he was like, oh, dude, I want to work with these guys. I want to produce their little whatever they're going to do. That's crazy. So this, whole, this whole scenario was chaotic, dude. I can't even begin to go into this right now. This would have to be a whole episode. <laughs> <so>. Next time. <laughs> but long story short is we did go up there. We worked with David. And just to, cor- just to kind of correlate it back to what I was saying earlier about quitting and always being on that brink and then if I push a little further something always seems to kind of break through so I go up there to record and I'm recording bass and this guy's recorded with you know Marcus Miller this guy's recorded with insane good bass players he's he's recorded you know rock bass players he's seen it all and like he literally turned to everyone in the room while I was playing and he goes this guy's a motherfucker talking about me. <laughs> and I was, it, it floored me, dude. And I was like, I wasn't trying to like, it wasn't like I grabbed the bass and was like, oh, I'm impressing. I was just playing, dude. And right. he, it really 
instilled a confidence in me that I just didn't have at the time. Nice. Because I, I really was just like, my career, my base career was just kind of fluttering, dude. It was just like kind of over. I was just like, all right, I'm just going to f- go back to school and get a degree and figure it out. You know what I mean? Sure. So, just stuff like that always seems to kind of pop up and happen, man. Like, I'm, you know, just playing at church week in and week out, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, a friend of mine who produces records and stuff, he lives in uh, Indonesia, but he works out of L.A. He just randomly hits me up and is like, hey, you know, I have this, uh, I have these projects. Can you do some bass on them? And so I'm doing, like, remote recording for him, you know, um, just recording bass tracks and then sending them back. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, I mean, and then, you know, there was a point, there was a point this past year where I'm going to tell this story, dude, and you're probably not going to believe it, but I swear to God it happened. (laughs) So, with this guy that I've been doing remote sessions with, he started this Facebook group called Musician Cell Group. So, basically what it is, is it's a collection of musicians from all over the world that get together in these small groups every week and have a meeting. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's a, it's a, like an accountability or a mastermind. So nice. you get together, get together with like you know five or six other musicians, and you just kind of talk through your issues and stuff. It's been really helpful for me. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I really come away from them feeling better, even if I don't get you know get much technical value out of them. I get a lot of like inspiration and stuff. It just kind of helps me stay sane. Yeah. But um, one day he randomly posts on there. So we have this Facebook group. He posts in the Facebook group. He's like, hey, looking for a bass player for an international tour. You know, send over your information. Um, pay is 8000 a week. $8,000 a week. $8,000 a week. Dude. So, <laughs> That's so we all through it. He's like, you need to have, you know, previous touring experience, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, oh, shit. I'm going to send him my stuff. I'm going to talk to him. Yeah. I sent him a message. He's like, dude, you would be perfect for this. You would kill this. Send me your stuff. So I, I get on it. And I start doing it. And he's like, oh, by the way, it's for Mariah Carey. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, you got to be shitting me right now. He's like, yeah, dude. I know the, I, I know the musical director. You know, his name's Michael Bearden, which Michael Bearden used to musical direct for Lady Gaga. Right. He's the musical director, Michael Jackson. Dude, outrageous. So I was like, after he told me that, I was like, holy shit, dude, how am I going to, like, so I still put together the video. Yeah. I put together videos, I learned the songs, I learned live versions of the songs that have, like, these weird chord changes in them, they're a little more, you know, gospel and funky, and I send them off. So I'm like, I'm nervous as hell, dude. I'm like, dude, if I get this, I will quit my job today. (laughs) <laughs> a week goes by I don't really hear anything another, about a, another half a week goes by and he gets back to me he's like hey dude I just want to let you know Michael really loves your playing and he really loves your stuff he's like send me a send me a copy of this song and it's pretty much down to you and one other guy and I was like oh my god wow I was like you gotta be shitting me so like <laughs> I learned the song and I send it off and basically long story short I didn't get the gig obviously um i didn't get the gig but the fact that it you know my 
Michael Bearden liked my playing. Dude. He's someone who's played with Michael Jackson. He's played with Lady Gaga. He's played with these huge, you know, huge acts. And just like, yeah. that just gave me even more confidence. We were like, look, dude, the problem, yeah. isn't, the problem isn't so much like your talent. The problem is you're just in fucking like Charlotte. You're not around <laughs> it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like you, so like after that, that's when I started like I was like, all right, I'm like, I'm just going to fly places and meet people. So like I flew to New York and I met another bass player up there. Nice. We hit it off and I, I've been talking to him and just kind of they do like this Monday night producers night where there's like, it's basically open mic night but with the band. Mm-hmm. So like you can get up there and like jam with the band. It has like the keyboard player root set and all kind of other people. I think his name's Ray Angry, or he played with the Roots at one point. Mm-hmm. So I just, and as soon as I started getting proactive, dude, other doors started up. So, like, I went up to New York just on a whim and, like, met this guy. I knew a guy that just happens to be working up there in a studio. He started his own studio. I started talking to him. And just talking to him, like, I almost had a show set up in New York, but these other doors started opening in Nashville. So like there's this guy named Jordan Gray in Nashville. He's a country artist. And like, yeah, he did some touring with Kane Brown and stuff. Yeah. I knew, I I saw you post some stuff. I thought his name looked familiar. Yeah. He's, 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 um, he's really talented. He's a great songwriter. He's a great vocalist, which you don't really see in country much Mm -hmm. as far as like his actual voice. So like, I started doing shows with him in Nashville and it's just like, it's just kind of snowballed, man. I mean, I still have times where like, I'll have some downtime and I'm like, oh dude, my career's going nowhere, you know, (laughs) probably just hang it it up. But something always comes over that next little step, dude. And I just, I don't know, man. I think I'm just too dumb to quit. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, this would probably be, I mean, we can transition into like the mental health side of it if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This, Jump is, right really, in. this is really where like, where the mental health side gets into it for me. So like, I'm just, I'm just miserable with doing anything else but music. So like, right. I got a good job, dude. I work, I'm a graphic designer. I mean, I work as a graphic designer at a company that's a very corporate company. It's in, it's in the healthcare realm. So it's like, I mean, technically, it's like helping people, but I don't even really know how. You know what I mean? So, sure. <laughs> it's a good job, dude. It pays great. Like I make, I make great money for what I do. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it is not fulfilling, dude. Nothing fulfills me like playing music or writing music. Dude. It just doesn't. Like, right. I don't know. I just can't. Like sitting there all day, I just can't get into it. I just don't care enough. You know what I mean? It's like, look, sure. I just don't care about this job. I'm sorry. Right. I mean, I have to pay my bills and stuff, but like, it's just tough for me to go in every day and just because all I'm thinking about is like, man, when's my next gig? Or when, what can I do to put myself out there more? What can I do to get more work? You know. So it's just, it's just a constant battle, dude. I don't know, but I don't know how you feel. Like, you like. No, yeah, yeah. for sure dude it's i mean i still got my kit and stuff it mm-hmm. it's weird obviously you know my life has completely changed <laughs> like 
been yeah. been married five years now, got a kid, so priorities are different. But you know, I could definitely like appreciate and, and see where where you're coming from on that because yeah, man, like I said, it there's not too many of of you kind of guys <laughs> out there. Yeah. Besides, I think you remember Tom Lovejoy. The guy's a freak and has been in like 30 bands and he's still touring and, and doing the thing. But yeah, man, it's, it's tough to just keep it going, man. Like everything just gets in the way. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of you, man. I'm really like inspired by you having that kind of mindset and, and personal, what's the word? Just like girth to like <laughs> keep pushing yourself again, regardless of where it takes you, but at least you're still doing it, you know, to some capacity whether it's recording or filling in on gigs or, you know, even playing at church, whatever, like it's still, it's still your craft and it's something that you've been working on. Like you said, going back to the beginning since you were 16 years old, like that's, that's a long time. And I think that's really cool. And that's, I mean, that story alone, like you said, Michael Bearden, that's freaking insane. <laughs> like That's mind blowing. But yeah, dude, that's something you should absolutely be proud of. That's, that's definitely not an experience that comes around you know, very often. And just to be able to say that it in itself is a, I think is a big triumph. So congrats, yeah, man. It was, it was a rad experience. Like even not getting the gig. And, and, and when I talked to, you know, Dean, he's my, he's my good buddy out there. When I talked to him about it, he's like, Hey dude, it just goes like that sometimes. Like he's like, at least you lost the gig the way someone would want to lose it. Like it came down to you. And yeah, guy. exactly. Like sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't. It's just how it goes, but like you know, it's just. I mean, playing music's just always. It's just always what I've done, dude. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know how to do anything. Else. Like I'm not <laughs> as good. I'm in my element when I'm in a studio or like writing songs, you know, playing bass. I'm just like I'm an okay designer. I can do a decent. I, mean, I can. I'm adequate. I can get stuff done. You know what I mean? But sure. like, I'm not super talented. It's like. You know, some of these people you see on like Instagram and stuff that are doing these like hand lettering stuff. I mean, I can do some of that stuff, but it's not gonna be like my level of songwriting and bass playing is far exceeds that. I'm just trying to figure out how to take the skills that I'm best at and that um, that that fulfill me in this life and get to that. You know right. Like, how do I get to that point where I can do this consistently? For sure, man. I think. Yeah, dude. No, I hear you. I think, like you're saying, it's. It is hard to, you know, especially in today's day and age where, I mean, it's just the reality of things where you just have to, you know, you're growing up, you got bills to pay, you're married, you, you know, you got mortgage, you got a car payment, you got a cell phone, like everything, you got to like survive. But to, to, I know that there's so many people out there that what they do every day is not fulfilling. It's not their dream. It's not what they've been wanting to do. It's not like the end goal. Which I, you know, I get it. We should always be striving for something. Even you know, so many people at older ages and they go get college degrees and stuff. But it's it's you know, and I don't have the answer, but it is being able to at least put in the effort, giving giving it the the time uh, to invest into it. Because there's so many people that are like, man, I really wish I was doing this. I wish I was doing that, but they just go home and don't do anything. Like I'm, I'm probably one of those people too. It's just difficult to get stuff done when you have a kid, but I also don't want to use that as a crush, but at least you're still doing it. I still, at least you're still making the time 
to work on your craft and at least work on it and play at church and play when you get home, make videos, you know, collab with other musicians on YouTube and gig with other bands and stuff like that's awesome. Cause again, so many people are like, Oh, I wish I painted or, you know, I wish I was a musician. I wish I played anything. And they're just like, ah, I'm just going to watch Netflix <laughs> and continue to hate my life. <laughs> Honestly, dude, I, I'm that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. I'm that, like, I, I'll be that guy that comes home. It's like, you know what, man? I don't even see the juice in doors. You know, it's like, I'm not getting anywhere. Right. I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm playing these big gigs. And I think a lot of it, dude, we can get into this too, but I think a lot of it's social media, dude. I think social media Definitely. is like, one of the worst things that's ever been invented for humans. Seriously. And like, it's just, dude, it's just constant comparison. Man. I mean, like, honestly, like if I sit down and think about it, it's like, I'm probably working way more than the average person as far as a musician goes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm playing every week, I'm making money doing it, I'm right. doing some remote sessions here and there. I get to drive to Nashville and play some whenever that stuff comes up. So, like, I, I can, I'm staying somewhat busy, you know, sure. but it's like, I wish I was busy, you know, I wish I was on tour every night because some of the people I follow are on tour every night or, you know, I wish I was in right. Hawaii, Hawaii playing a show because some people I you know, follow are in Hawaii playing a show and like, dude, social media is screwed up. Yeah, man. Generation. Just the fact that you can see it, automatically. Right. You automatically compare yourself to that. It's like, look, if I didn't have that, and I just all I knew is what I'm doing, I'd probably be in a good spot. You know what I mean? Sure. No, that's that's very true, dude. It again, comparison. There's so many like phrases coming to my head, but you know, comparison is the killer and all this stuff. And like, yeah. and it is true. Like, it it is a is it it's a joy killer. It literally steals your happiness, and it could be literally in anything. Like, compare yourself in anything at all. And you're like, you know, especially nowadays for, for girls, all these freaking models, like that's all there is. And they have like 10 trillion followers all because they're like half naked. And that's the only reason. But again, in, in any situation, oh, this dude's got this, this person's got that, they're doing this. And again, granted, it's hard. Like it's going to happen. It's hard to not see that stuff. Um, but, but again, it's, it's a constant it's a constant struggle and it's being able to, I think, like I said, I don't have the answers, but I think it's being able to just find that fine line of, I don't know, like it, it finding worth in yourself, I guess, you know, having, having the, the idea that, that you are worthy, like you are doing a great job. Like, you know what, screw this. Like I am doing a great job. I actually am good at what I do and I'm doing the best that I can. And sometimes things happen. Sometimes things pop up like, you know, like this, situation with mariah carey like that came out of nowhere essentially and and you never know like it's just you know whether you believe in luck or not you know you can definitely make your own luck in a sense of like like the, the guy was telling you like putting yourselves in those in those groups of people in those environments because you could be an insane dude but you never made a video you don't have a youtube account you don't have an instagram and nobody will ever know who you are but if this is something you're wanting you're like hey you know, at least you're taking the right steps to do that and, and, and help you get there. And, you know, one day out of nowhere, like, Hey, come play for whoever. <laughs> yeah. And then go and then get pro and get aggressive and proactive. That's really what's turned it around. Recently. Exactly. 
as soon as I started putting the ball in my own court instead of waiting for people to come and contact me and going out to meet people, it's, right. it's just been like a snowball. It's like, I don't know, I guess it's like the universe or God or whatever you want to call it, but like, as soon as you start putting forth some effort, it's like, it starts reciprocating for you. I don't know. Absolutely, man. No, I completely agree there. I've, I, you know, so many situations like that of, you know, obviously uh, Elijah Richards, founder of And God We Must, but, you know, I'll be, I'll have him on soon too. But, you know, just stories like that of like, hey, this is something that either I want to do or I kind of have to do, but, you know, you just got to do it. You just got to put in the work. Like I have other friends right now in LA that, you know, they, they've been acting since they were kids. And, and now they, they're out there now and they're on like SVU law and order. They're on new shows and they're just like, they're getting in front of it. They're doing whatever they have to do. And, it's, and being an actor in LA is like, you know, <laughs> one in a million, like everybody's trying to do that in LA, especially like that's so, so hard, but to at least get the, you know, to have the balls, lack of a better term to leave Atlanta and fly out there and just say, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to figure it out. Like that's, yeah. that's hardcore, you know? And, and it's, but again, at the end of the day, they're doing what they need to do to achieve what it is that they're trying to, to achieve ultimately. And I think that that could be applied to really anything in your life. And even going back to the whole band thing, like, heck you guys freaking went hardcore. And, and you know, whether you're trying to get signed or not, it's something that, that you guys force yourself to be in that situation. You force yourself to, to be in that environment where people were noticing you, um, yeah. you know, cause you could very well hit them up and be like, Hey, check out my band. We would love to be in tooth and nail. And they're like, yeah, okay. Get in line next. But they're like, yeah. damn, these guys are not only are they a good band. Cause you could be a great band and not play any shows. And they're like, all right, whatever next. But they're like, these people are, you know, 200 plus days out of the year uh, playing shows. Like that's a big deal. So being able to do that and, and put in the work and the effort to, again, you know, not to sound cheesy, but set yourself apart from <laughs> like the competition and anybody, anybody else, especially in the music world, it's, it, it's hard, but it definitely, like you said, stories like this, like this happen. And, and yeah, dude, I, I think that's awesome, man. But Hey bro, I will, I, I definitely got to bring you back in to, to hear more of these stories. Cause I know that they're going to be, coming sooner or later but um yeah dude thanks so much for coming on and being vulnerable and open and sharing your your life experiences and those big hard moments that you know have taken place and you know like you said kind of owning up to things possibly that that might have taken place and it made you a better person to who you are now and learn from things and you know at the same time i think that you're you're being kind of rewarded in a way like again just for something personally for you to be acknowledged by such a, you know, a worthy person in, in the industry. Um, yeah. Like that is humongous. Like that's such a big, mm-hmm. big deal that I think it's something you should definitely be proud of. And um, yeah, dude, keep it going, man. You, you're definitely inspiring me and, and others. <laughs> awesome, well, yeah, it's definitely something that, you know, I, I definitely can see where it's like, well, you've you got the talent, man. You just need to be around the right people. Right. So it, it's really just lit a fire under me to just kind of figure out how to get out and do it more and be more present with you know these people that get in the same rooms with these people. So we'll see how it goes, man. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep 
pushing forward. You know, I appreciate you bringing me on and giving me the time. You know, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's fun to talk about this stuff and just, yeah, man. you know, connect again. And it's been a good time, dude. I, I'm really stoked to see what you do. I, I, I like the fact that you're being creative again. Just, yeah. <laughs> going, going out there and doing what you can. For sure. I think, I mean, shoot, man. Do, I mean, just do what you love, you know? Right. If you like doing you like doing these podcasts and stuff keep doing them dude. for mean, sure I, think, I think people i mean we have a ton of friends people are gonna listen you know i listen <laughs> to you and you and becca's first podcast yeah yeah man like i said it's it's important to have an outlet outside of your regular go to work come home eat dinner go to sleep repeat like like there there needs to be more to life and i think that if you can find little pockets and little outlets of just like breaking away and even Again, I mean, even for me, like this is good for me too, for just mental health and like speaking to people, sharing my thoughts, my opinions, my feelings, my emotions, my fears, like everything. I think it's good. And I think unfortunately is what our, like we were saying is somewhat of our, what our generation is kind of lacking because I'm just like, oh, Jamie's doing this on, I saw it on Instagram, already know what's going on. So I don't have to talk to him. And like, even though, even though we don't intentionally say that it's like subconscious, like, oh, cool. That's good for him. Cool. And we might leave a little comment with a thumbs up or something and like, that's it. And then time goes on and everybody's just doing that to each other. And they're like all alone at home in front of a TV all day and nobody's talking to each other. So it's like, man, screw this. I'm going to like force myself to to do this. And just to like, even if it's an excuse to record it, uh, uh, you know, at the same time, I want to let other people use this as a tool to like, Hey man, let me just cry on the, your podcast or something like whatever the case may be i think it's it's something good but yeah dude i'm, I'm glad that you're doing that in your life with with bass and, and musicianship and and using that as an outlet for sure so like i said man definitely proud of you happy you're doing it please continue to do so because um even even if if nothing huge happens to you like i think what you've done so far is is definitely admirable but but i think yeah. it's coming <laughs> I think, and to boil it down to one point, I know we got a couple minutes, but I think at the end of the day, when I think about it, it's, and like, if, if, if it goes nowhere, at least I could say I dedicated my life to it. Yeah. And honestly, that feels good to me, dude. You know, instead of like, oh, I dedicated my life to being a good, you know, salesman or a good, you know worker at a company it's like look i dedicated my life to music and i gave it all i had right i'm, I'm okay with that so, exactly that's where i'm at so. for sure man no definitely I, I completely agree and and i know that you definitely got a lot more a lot more things to conquer in that world so i'm, I'm stoked to see what's what's going to take place but yeah dude thanks again man uh i'll let you uh can continue to drink your whiskey <laughs> killed the bottle but all right bro we'll definitely talk soon say hi to the wifey all right man love you all right you too man we'll talk soon later